What's up, everybody? Before we get to this week's episode, hey, if you're in Southern California or you're coming to Southern California this weekend for WonderCon, Scott and I are both there. We are splitting a table in the small press area at table SP06. So come over, say hi, grab some books, and let's kick it for a while. Again, that's WonderCon this weekend in Anaheim, California, and, uh, and we hope to see you there. Now let's get to this week's episode. Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith Foster, I'm a managing partner at Invader Comics, and I write the comics Kadoja, Three Protectors, and the upcoming Animals. And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanders of Melisanda for the Accidental Aliens, and the upcoming short story Paradise Hills. Yeah, and what is not accidental is that you love beer, my friend. Uh, are you- <laughs> there is no accident there. <laughs> what what are you drinking? Years of honing my craft since the <laughs> fine age of 16. Yeah, um, yeah, I hear you. I'm actually going a little old school for the pod. I'm going to go to a, uh, a seltzer, or it's a seltzer of sorts. It's a vodka seltzer with real juice. It's called Neutral. And so Vaughn's in my area, I think in most areas, they have... Uh, Friday Frenzy. It used to be five dollar friend or five dollar Fridays. So, but anyway, they had this right next to the register. Uh, they have like kind of like a table where they set up a whole bunch of deals. And this was one of the things. It was like a a twelve pack. Wait, was it a six or a twelve pack? It was a six or a twelve pack for six bucks. It was freaking crazy. All and right. uh, yeah, these are four point five percent ABV. They're twelve ounces. And I guess they just weren't selling well or whatever the case was. So I was like, hey, it's six bucks. Why not? So I grabbed it and um, I've had a couple. I haven't had this one. This one's pineapple. So I'm interested in this one. But yeah, man, for six bucks to get like six to 12 cans of of booze, not a bad deal. Kind of similar to your Trader Joe's or or Total Wine, wherever it was. Mm -hmm. Bevmo. Oh, it was a Bevmo. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So we're, uh, it was impulse buy at the register and it was a good buy. So. Hey, yeah. How about you? all right. Yeah, what are you drinking? Okay, so for me, this tends to happen when we have, like, a, I still have a little residue from, like, the Harlan Ube milkshake IPA we had. But the residue this time is about the idea of a beer club. And something I did a long time ago without actually acting on it was kind of get on the Lazy Dog Cafe's mailing list. And they have a beer club. And oh. so it's been it's been swimming around in my head for a while. And like two days ago, I decided, F it. I'm, I'm going to join their beer club. Um, it's not a bad deal. Like like you basically pay what, what I liked about their beer club was that every quarter you get eight cans of beer. It's 40 bucks. So not terrible. And then you also get like you get discounts in restaurants. You know, you get like uh, a glass. I think you get all kinds of stuff. But what really intrigued me was that every one is a collab. They actually like oh, reach cool. out to another people and they do collaborations. So I saw that. I'm like, hey, that's pretty cool. It's the kind of beers you can't get in the restaurants. Let's go for it, right? So I signed up and they're like, oh, we'll come in and get your first case, your your first beers. 
So I walk in and I'm like, okay, yeah, that's the collab over there. Like, uh, so, you know, give me one of those. And they're like, you don't get the collab your first time. You Mm -hmm. get lazy dog beers the first time. Now, I should have read that more closely because they basically sort of make to order. So if you come in and want it, that's somebody else's. You know what I mean? So it kind of sucks because the collab looked really good and uh, and I can't get it. Instead, I got uh, lazy dog like house beers. Right. OK. Um, so uh, so I am drinking the first one right now. It is called uh, the lazy, lazy. Do- so sorry, lazy dog cafe, I think is a Southern California based chain. It's like, you know, that you can get everything there and they make their own beer. So that's that's about the the gist of it. But the one I'm drinking right now is Huckleberry Haze. It is an India Pale Ale with huckleberry and strawberry flavors. And despite the fact that it says it's a haze, that is a pretty clear haze, my dude. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it looks a lot West Coasty as opposed to um, to looking like the kind of hazy stuff that I'm used to. Um, it's, it's, it's good. It's very berry-ish. It's got, like, it's like part IPA, part booberry cereal right now in terms of, like, the flavor, you know? We'll see. Because remember there was that one you got me the one time that was, like, blueberry as fuck. But yeah. by, like, the fourth sip, I barely even tasted the blueberry. So um, I like this, uh, It's but it's very fruity. Um, so, yeah, it's it's all good. I'm, it still tastes a little like disappointment because I thought I was going to get the collaboration beers, but I yeah. didn't. But that's OK. Next next quarter, somebody else will join the beer club and they'll be asking the same question. Also, I I asked the manager, I said, uh, when can I buy one of these? And he's like, well, these are all people's over there. And I'm like, do they have a I just kept pressing it. I was like, is there a period where they have to pick them up and then they have to forfeit? And he's like, yeah, end of March. And I'm like, OK. I'll call you end of March. Uh, and he's like, here, give me your name. Give me your name and your phone number. And if we get to the end of the March and, and people don't um, get them, then I'll give you a call and you can come by it. So I was Hell like, yeah. here's open. Yeah, that's him. I'll just intimidate people before they go into that lazy dog, like one by one. <laughs> <laughs> that way I can just get my one case, you know? So uh, anyway, so we're, we're through the beers. So let's get to what we did this week, man. What was the first thing you did? Okay, so I think the most... Uh pressing thing that i've done for the week is uh joaquin is starting the coloring process for second shift 13 he's about five or six pages in and so the first page it was it was beautiful um so the first page is an alley scene and if you go on to my instagram right now i have a post with it and you can see the final colors and so i do this like little it's like a trick that people do on Instagram right now. It like gets you more hits supposedly or more likes. You open up on if you're doing digital, if you're using Procreate, there's an app where you can see the the video process of you working on the image. And so if you press uh review video, you can kind of like dragging your pen, your stylus across the screen, you can speed up or reverse the process of like you drawing the thing, right? Mm. And so that's kind of a thing that's going on, uh, going around right now on IG or, or any kind of your social media that you're into. If you'll see a bunch of artists have a picture, you see them dragging across their screen so you could get the opening, the beginning process of it, and then the tail end process of it. So I was just like, eh, I'll give it a try. So, but I did it with interiors. I'm like, I'm not doing a ton of splashy imaging. Like, you know, I'm not doing a lot of cover work and, and stuff like that. So it's just like mainly interiors. And, and that's the process that I'm going through right now. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll show this off. Um, so anyway, the first first go around that he gave me, 
the page was it was colored beautifully but the issue was everything was way too bright it's like okay it's nighttime the moon is out she's running through an alley a couple of guys are chasing her okay everything was lit basically with the night being dark everything else was lit like it was during the day and so i was like hey man colors are beautiful here's the issue and he goes you're totally right I'm going to do this or whatever. It was a quick fix for him. I think he did like a color overlay, like it's a, a mother color. He added like a blue, um, mm-hmm. which was kind of the color of the moon. And he laid it over and he messed with the levels and, and did whatever he did. And it, it looks pretty badass. I was like, okay, right on, okay. you know. So, um, but then moving forward, there's just a couple of corrections here and there. But uh, we're getting in the groove of things. That's kind of how it goes with me and him. Like every time he gets around to an issue, um, he either nails it right away or there's kind of this relearning process of what I like and, and how I want things done. Uh, but he always gets back to it really quickly. So we're off and running. We're five pages in. And the latest thing with that I had to deal with as far as beyond just giving him notes, like what I wanted to change was I realized there's, there's a page and he asked for it. He goes, Hey, I realized page eight's not in the file. And I, I was like, okay, let me upload it. I went to find it. And it's a page where characters are interacting uh, through their cell phones so they're they're all doing whatever they're doing in the scene and then it's a close-up of a cell phone and it's just like oh crap i didn't i don't number one i don't have the dialogue of what the texts are supposed to say on the cell phone and i didn't do it and so it's just like well i don't want to have to have him do it it's going to add more time and i have to figure out what i'm what, how i want him to say it, how i want him to put it on there and so i i kind of did this trick where i was i was talking to my girlfriend and i was like shit i need to do this so i think i'm just going to text myself and then i'm going to change the name she's like well why don't you just why don't i just text you um just tell me what to write and then just change the name on your phone i was like brilliant yeah let's do that so yeah um so we did that and i just screen capped it i screen capped the image so it just looks like regular text and it's a text from one of my characters by changing the name and then just adjusting the time accordingly like i i looked up the I was trying to find a font that's basically similar than the iPhone font. Like, it's it's mm-hmm. similar to it. And I was like, okay, this looks pretty close to it. So, I replaced the times on the phone to uh, match accordingly to the story. And and uh, it went pretty well. It was kind of fun to do and to figure it out. So, but it's, it, you know, it, it took up a little bit of time. It's just like, okay, well, let's yeah. figure out how to do this. And um, I had to do it again where I had to change my girlfriend's name again on my phone because another character was calling this character so it's just like okay hey call me now and then i took a screen cap of her calling me and like that's going to be the image on the phone so yeah it was kind of fun and uh yeah it's those little things sometimes that you forget that you have to do and so luckily i didn't upload that page for whatever reason maybe it was the the digital element of it but uh luckily he had told me hey that's not in there and then i was able to get on top of that that's cool. That's cool. I mean, I, I think there is there. You know, I'm sticking on two things there. One, I think it's it's it can be really fun to have this resourceful problem solving where you're doing that. You're like, yeah, if I do this and do that, then that's all going to work. So I I love the problem solving practical aspect of it. You know, the other thing though is that this can take a lot of time. You know, like one minute you're doing it, and the next minute it's two hours later. And yeah. you have gone through all this stuff, but you're like, did I really just spend two hours trying to mimic like the texts that are going to be in my comic? It's crazy the way that works sometimes. 
Yeah, definitely. And there's just like small adjustments that I had to do because um, in my second shift universe it's it's not an iphone it's a b phone the like the mm-hmm. logo on the back you'll see if you go through my comics like especially the the most recent ones i think the last i don't know anywhere from issue eight to to current um if someone has a cell phone or a, a laptop instead of it being an apple with a bite in it it's a peeled banana so mm-hmm. <laughs> that's just like a little a little thing I like to do and and so yeah so on the screen of your iPhone if you you'll you'll see right under the oh shit it's not showing up this time around but if someone's calling it will say iPhone on it and so I had to change it to B phone and it's just like small stuff like that it kind of yeah. it just makes it interesting for people that are looking over the art a little bit thoroughly when they're reading the book and it's just something mm-hmm. fun Yep, yep, I hear you, I hear you. A random thing that I'm thinking of is that you could always tell what the second-rate sitcoms were back in the day because they would have that kind of stuff because they didn't pay for the sponsorship. So they'd have a kid, you know, like using their laptop in the kitchen and it was an Apple laptop, but they put a pair on it or something like yeah. that. Like, same thing, right? And that's because, hey, we were too cheap to uh, to try to go out and, like, pay them or hope that they're going to, like, product. I think that's what it was. It was reverse. They didn't get paid by the company to product place in their stuff. So they're like, screw it. We'll just make our own thing then. We're not going to give them yeah. free advertising. Well, that was like uh, the pair phone. I think that was like iCarly or something. Uh, oh, okay. My niece used to watch that all the time. I used to watch it. With, I love that show. It was great. Um, yeah. Yeah, there was, I was watching, it's funny you mentioned that because I was watching an episode of Friends. We just, we've been running out of stuff to watch. Um, You know, we kind of like to have sitcoms going on in the background, like when we're just doing stuff around the house or I'm sitting there and drawing or whatever. And so there was an episode of Friends where Joey had a giant bucket of KFC and it was Mm -hmm. totally KFC, but they put, um, they put like a sticker over it, like a almost, oh, it was like a, a comic book um yelling bubble you know like the uh-huh. spiky looking bubble right yeah. um and it was just like finger freaking chicken or something like that like they gotcha, <laughs> gotcha. but it was if you look at the box it was totally a kfc they just threw that sticker on top of it, it was kind of right funny. right yeah yeah that's great that's great um okay hey that's a that's a cool first thing so so for me i have three things this week the first two i think definitely have some degree of universality to them that i can talk about So I'm actually going to go, this one's going to be the most recent thing in time, because this is actually today. And um, and what I wanted to talk about for today was, yesterday, I did a lot of manual labor. I took a half day off so that I could go um, do some stuff that required a ton of manual labor, like five hours of, I mean, a ton, right? Champagne problems, right, in the modern world, but... I'm sure a farmer in like 1835 worked, you know, 18 hours in the field. And here I'm saying a lot of manual labor's five, but I digress. Right. Right. Hey, hey, but you you have a job. And so this was extra work on top of it. So it's a valid complaint to me. I I took. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it is what it is. Right. It's so anyway, I I did a lot of that. And as a result, I was uh, really aching yesterday and was aching today. And through a lot of the day. I'm I'm sore, but I'm not bad. I didn't hurt myself. I'm just sore, but I'm not bad. But I'm more tired than anything. You know, it's like that that full body exhausted where you just want to take a nap. And I wasn't able to take a nap. And I got through the day and I'm like, boy, I haven't done my writing today. I think I'll skip my writing today. But then I walked around on it. I'm like, no, give it a go. Give it a go. Just get in front of the computer and see what happens. 
So I got in front of the computer and I saw what happened and I managed to kind of do the, you know, in a weird way, I think I sort of did the slaw method where I was like, okay, your, your creative brain isn't firing all the way. So let's go. What happened was there's a part and I can tell you what this is later, Scott, I, I got to figure it out a little bit, but I, I wanted, this is in my second novel. I wanted the characters to reference a comic book. But I didn't know what comic book it was. I just knew the general thing I was looking for. So I did a Google search for that comic book. For I did a Google search for the thing. And and then I just started going. And that didn't work. So then what I did was I picked a comic. This is in the past. So I had to pick a comic that was out at that time. And then I just kept looking backward through all the issues. Until I found something that fit what I wanted. This thing that happens in my story. right? And because it needs to be a, a little bit of a parallel reference. And then I found it and then I found a synopsis of it and then I read the whole thing. And uh, and then I, you know, one thing led to another and I ended up having a real good time and then working that all in because now I have this reference of the comic that's part of my story. And uh, then I checked my word count. It was 570 words. Oh, and my God. Hell yeah. What was fascinating. Yeah, it was great. It was great because not only did it not only did I get my writing in. But it turned around my energy for the day. All of a sudden, I had energy because I had gotten so invested and, and in the writing and was having fun with the writing. And I say that. So the reason I, I like saying this because it's something I did this week. But I also like saying this because it reminded me of two things at once, right? It's this idea of even on the days where you don't feel like it, do it. Get in front of it and do it. Um, there's a there's a great line, and I can't remember the exact percentage, but uh, there's a great line from Woody Allen at one point that's like 85% of life is showing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, if you never heard that, that one. Yeah. yeah, and then and then another one I like. I heard this more in this might be common in people like you know going to the gym or whatever. But I remember reading this article by a sports columnist I like who had lost a lot of weight. He had put on a lot of weight and then lost a lot of weight, and he wrote about it. And he said the hardest thing to do is get to the gym. 100% true. Once you get to the gym, it's easier. And that's something that's always stuck in my head on those days where I don't feel like working out or don't feel like getting my thing in. Yeah, I, I 100%. I've never heard that saying, but I actually tell a lot of people that. Um, you know, like, they ask, oh, do you still have your gym membership? And I'm like, no, I, I canceled that during COVID. And um, I was like, you know, I just work out from home now and I find that to work good enough for me because I have some, I have some dumbbells. I do a lot of ground exercises. Um, I do my, you know, um, uh, my intermittent fasting and I do my cold plunges and those all help with, uh, you know, weight loss and such. Um, but the, the thing I would always say is dude, for me, it was just getting to the gym. It's like, Mm -hmm. as soon as I get to the gym, I'm fine. I know what to do. And the hour goes by, but the process to get there is the fucking slog like i hate i hate getting ready i hate putting my shoes on and then driving to the gym and then it's like once you get the workout clothes on you kind of feel like just doing it right then and there it's like can i just be working out and so so for me working from home is the best possible you know uh uh, process for me because it's just mm-hmm. yeah that getting there is is such a bitch um and i do right. have something that goes along with your being in pain from the manual labor um so i went to my great niece's birthday her ninth birthday uh, my my nephew's daughter and she is uh in cheer and she's like a full-on gymnast like she was doing 
Like she did like 10 back handsprings in a row to the point where it looked like she wasn't even moving. She was kind of mm-hmm. in one spot. And, and so she's just like super badass nine year old. Um, and so I was just so impressed with her and, you know, me having my wrestling background and being pretty flexible and agile, like, of course, I'm going to be doing front flips and back flips on those, on those, uh, like trampoline runners essentially like it's not exactly like a trampoline but it is but it's super taut so it's just kind of like yeah you get a a little boost out of it but you don't get a ton of boost out of it and then um so i did a front flip landed perfectly no problem and i was like cool yeah that that was a little you know it's a little tighter than i'm used to from a trampoline but hey i was able to pull it off and like pull it off well and i was like, all right let's try backflip well I started flipping over. I was upside down and my body just stopped. It was like, no, you're done now. <laughs> and I almost came down on my head, but um, I turned it into like a, a back backflip handspring. Um, and so I was fine. Right. And then I, I ended up doing a backflip and then I did again. And uh, so whatever, it was all good. Right. And they have these things. I'm sure you've seen them in movies or if you've ever been to a gymnasium before. It's a cylinder where the teachers will have like you lay your back across it and you put your hands over your head and they roll it and it Mm. teaches you how to do a back handspring. Well, I've never used one before. I know how to do a back handspring. I used to be able to do them back in the day. And uh, well, apparently I was still doing them from a, a backflip. <laughs> but uh, so I was like, oh, these I've always seen these. I've always wanted to try one. They seem cool. So I do one. And it's like, oh, OK, that was that was all right, I guess. And then um, my nephew does one and I'm like, ah, let me do another one. And I do it in like it's a lot higher than I realized, especially since I did it the first time not too long ago. I came down with all of my weight, basically um, with most of my weight over my head and I landed on my arm and I screwed something up in my tricep and elbow and like Mm. it was instant shock it was instant pain all throughout my arm and I was like oh I just hurt myself really really bad and uh, the problem was well not only was all of that the problem but it was also my drawing arm and so yeah so it was like to bend my arm in a certain way it was really painful so for the rest of that day I couldn't draw Um, But the thing that I did to help with it is what I do to help with like my um, my fasting, which is those cold plunges. You know, it's just like, okay, I don't I don't have the money to buy a shitload of ice and jump in the tub with it. Right. But the the weather is cold now. So that means our pool is ice cold. So I made sure as soon as we got home, I was like, hey, I'm going straight in the pool. You know, I need to do this cold plunge. So I chilled out in there. I kept my arm underwater and it's really helping. Like it sped the process up like a lot and i mm-hmm. think i would have been in so much more pain if i hadn't been doing that every day so um yeah i did cold plunges like three days in a row just to help with my back my knees and my elbow and uh, oh when i was doing those front flips and those back flips back back flips specifically it was the first time with me jumping on a trampoline type surface where my knees legitimately hurt it felt like mm. it was like bone on bone i was like oh yeah, I'm not doing this anymore after like yeah. like I'm done. Yeah, man. I mean, that's uh, look, I I was saying that um to my wife yesterday cuz we were both doing the same thing and by the way, a- a- after we did it we're like she's like you feeling in and out and I'm like I am so motherfucking feeling in and out. Oh yeah. I am I am the most feeling in and out. And then we went into in and out and I'm like, you know, this is a little special. Here's the good friends. Tonight is kind of special. <laughs> 
And I, I did something that I have not done in like 30 years, Scott. I ordered a milkshake for myself. Oh. I do not. I, I am not a milkshake person. Like my kids are milkshake people and so is my wife. But generally what I'll do is they'll order the milkshake and then I'll just steal a couple sips and that'll be that. But it, it was a special kind of day and it warranted it. And I had a chocolate milkshake at in and out you know, I don't. I also don't think I've ever actually had a milkshake with a burger. Holy shit, dude! Holy so shit! All the rumors are true. All yeah. the rumors are true on how good a fucking burger is with a shake. Wow. I love. I love chocolate milkshakes. Like they're great. But I don't know if you ever had, or I don't know if anyone in your family gets the strawberry milkshake. That's the shit. I love yeah. the strawberry milkshake. If- At the habit, she does. At the habit, they do. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I love yeah. it. Yeah that's, yeah, that's the one thing. Like, I'm a chocolate, chocolate fanatic. I love chocolate. Yeah. Love everything yeah. chocolate. But lately, my my shake of choice is strawberry. It's just killer okay. for some reason. Yeah. yeah. Well, so for me, we, you know, you got to get a little... Like, my, my jam in terms of milkshake... And again, I might be ordering more milkshakes in the future. Cookies and cream are the shit. Oh, yeah. And whenever anybody does a salted caramel, it's like, what you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> uh, so anyway, but, but hey, to bring it back to our main topic... Um, the, the important part there was I, I fought through it. I put my butt in the chair. The hardest thing to do, again, we're going to we're gonna co-op this. The hardest thing to do is just get in the chair and decide you're writing today or you're drawing today. And then odds are, much like once you're at the gym or once you have your workout clothes on, you're like, okay, now I'm committed. Now I'm just going to do shit and see what happens. That's exactly how it is once you commit to actually working on stuff. So look... There, there are, there is an alternate universe or there are other days like this where you're going to be like, no, I'm not feeling it. I need a day off. I'm just going to ramp down and you're going to know when those days are. But if you push yourself, then what you're going to find is sometimes you get your daily work done, even though you force through it. You know, like, again, I, I didn't think that I would get that far, but not only did I get that far, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed my work and it ended up being really fun to write that part of my story. Yeah, I think I think I'll keep in this vein and I, I think it'll make a nice little segment um, because I've been having trouble again with Paradise Hills. So mm. uh, like I've mentioned before, I was having issues. I got away from it for a while. I went and I took some reference photos and that kind of got me back into the swing of things. And I was like, cool, that little artist block that I was having went away. Like I'm able to work on this. I've knocked out a few backgrounds and... It's a really difficult part of the process. So since then, I have done a couple more backgrounds and it's just like, okay, I'm, I'm able to do this, this part of the process. You know, I have my reference material here and, and it's speeding things along. Like there's less thought work that needs to go in it because I'm taking my own photos. I'm taking them at the exact angle I need. So there's not this process of trying to think through like, okay, well, what would this look like at this angle? Well, I have everything there. So it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's just, there's, there's no thought process to it. There's nothing, there's nothing taking extra energy. So I'm able to just, you know, work. Um, the issue with that though, is there is nothing in this story. I think there's been one page that it's a splash image. It's the last image. And I've been able to work on that. And I pretty much laid the majority of it out. It's just like, okay, well, I need to think of the villain and what that's going to look like. And so that's one thing that was slowing me down from completing that page. But overall, that page is done, um, like the majority of it. 
So it's just like, okay, let me move on from this. Let me try to figure out what this, this villain's going to look like. And I don't know, besides that, I'm kind of stumped. I'm like, man, there's just nothing here that's jumping out on me, you know, to go back to Pee-wee's big adventure. It's all a bunch of snakes in this burning building. And, and I'm like, shit, I don't know what I want to work on. Well, turns out my work on second shift 13 isn't complete. I realized that there's something else that I have to do there. And I was able to get off of the paradise Hills project for a little bit and work on that. That'll be my last thing. So I'll, I'll save that. Um, so when you're, when you're in your creative mode and you are, so it's a little bit of opposite of what Keith was doing where he goes, you know what? I don't, I don't know that I feel like working today. I think I'm going to skip it. And he just pushes himself a little bit. He goes, nah, 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 let's try it out. And then it just starts flowing. I'm a bit in the opposite space. So I like to keep keep to my deadlines, and I know I have a hard deadline of, I, th- I believe it's uh, just off the top of my head, it's at the end of April that I'm supposed to have these Paradise Hills pages finished. Now, when I initially did this, I didn't, I did not count for the extra page count that I did with the story. I extended the story by two extra pages. Um, I also wasn't <laughs> aware that I was going to have artist block in which it was going to slow me down a bit. And then on top of that, it's just like, oh, shit, there's something else that I needed to do for Second Shift 13 that actually has to take priority. And so it's just all of these contributing factors to me going like, well, I think I actually have to put this project down for a minute. And and sometimes you do have to do that. You know, there's those great days where like Keith had it was just like, no, I think I will try. And then it's gangbusters. You're so happy that you push through and Mm -hmm. you get all this work that you weren't going to have because you weren't going to start in the first place. Well, I was on the opposite side of it. I had the pages open. I was ready to work, but there was just nothing there. And sometimes you just have to get away from it. You know, a lot like we've talked about in the last couple of weeks where you work on something, let's say you're working on a script and you're not sure about it, so you put it in a drawer, you come back to it a week or two later. You know, your art, you work on a piece and you're not sure if you're happy with it. You put it down, you come back to it a couple of days later. This is one of those instances where I can't put anything down and I just have to step away for a little bit. But luckily, we are busy men and so I had something else to turn to. So um, I started working on another project just because, well, number one, it had to be done. And number two, right now I'm at a standstill with Paradise Hills and I needed to move forward. So I, I do not have the luxury of just burning time and sitting there and just waiting for inspiration to strike. I mm-hmm. have to keep moving. I have to keep doing other things. So luckily there's other projects that I have to work on. And, and so that's where we're at. You know, I, I was able to knock out um, two backgrounds and a majority of a splash page this last week. And so that's some nice movement on, on Paradise Hills, but hey, we have a seven-day work week, you know, as far as when we record and then until we record again. So to only have that to show for it as far as panel work goes, like for me, that's not great. Like I should have anywhere from five to seven panels done, but, um, you know, we're looking at more or less two two panels done for the week. So a little frustrating, but we all have those weeks sometimes. Yeah, totally, totally. I mean, and, and that's the thing too. It's 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 not about sitting in the chair and and having it happen every time. There are times where you're going to proverbially sit in the chair and then just be like, no, I'm still not feeling it. And maybe you have another project to think about and maybe you don't. You can take the day off. 
you can take a couple days off. You know, it's it's worth noting that in the same story, one of the reasons that I was happy that I found this thing to work on was because there is a scene I'm pressing up against and I don't know what it is. And that's going to happen when you're writing a novel as exploration. In fact, I think I may have thought of the idea just listening to you right now on how I make that scene work. Oh, right so <laughs> that that happens, right? Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's about knowing yourself and it's about figuring out where the heat is, which in a weird way kind of goes into my second thing. Um, so I will, I will turn that into this idea. You know, we're kind of flowing back and forth with each other right now. But my second thing I did this week was this, uh, this, you know, the, the larger idea is writing where the heat is. And so a couple days ago, I had the thing that I wanted. I had the thing that I thought I needed to do, which was work on the novel. But I didn't want to work on the novel. What I wanted to work on was a final pass of the short story that I started, you know, a month and a half ago that I pretty much finished during our retreat, but that I thought needed one more pass. And the pass that I thought it needed was I thought that it needed to be quote unquote voicier. Okay. So voice is the kind of thing that's in that people talk about all the time in novels and it doesn't really show up in comics. And, and the reason why is what ended up happening through this pass. So when you say voicier, you mean like, you know, you're trying to say bring out more of both the character and the author, how they think, how they feel, how they look at situations, how they talk, etc. Right? Like all of that shows up as this ambiguous thing we all call voice. What I found and, and what I had felt, you know, it's always helpful to figure out, like to understand your assumption going in. My assumption going in was... The story was nice and voicey in the first half, and then it lost the voice in the second half. After editing it, I can say that is correct. It is correct. It is voicier in the first half. But the reason it's voicier in the first half is because there's more interiority and less action and less dialogue. And what happens with voices, it tends to get washed over by dialogue and action. You can still have what's this thing called voice in your dialogue, but in your action, it's generally not going to be that. That's why voice isn't as big of a thing in comics, because comics are dialogue and action, right? The very thing that gives a story voice in prose gets cut in the presence of making a comic because you're just looking at the whole thing. It's words and it's actions. That's a comic. That's the whole thing. You can have interiority like those old Spider-Man things where Spider-Man just goes on these long monologues while he's swinging about the city, right? But but in general, um, you're going to lose some of that. And uh, And so I'm happy to say that after going through this whole thing, it feels like this story feels about as good as I can make it. I'm going to put it out in the world and see if anybody wants to publish it. And if not, well, then, you know, it was as good as I could make it. And maybe that didn't mean it was good enough to make a magazine. Who the hell knows? Right. But, you know, again, this larger thing that I think, you know, I, I want to just draw, a, put a spotlight on is the idea of, of going where the heat is, going where you want to go. I felt like 
I needed to do that. It was the thing I wanted to do. The thing I wanted to do that day a couple days ago, and it took me a couple days, was to just go through this story. I, I couldn't rest until I did that story. Fuck everything else I was doing. This was the thing I had to do. So again, sometimes it's just a compulsion like this, and sometimes it's just writing where the heat is and understanding where that is, like you just did with stepping away from Paradise Hills for a little bit. So, you know, it's it's all about knowing thyself and... Uh, and, and going from there. And, and the earlier you are in the process, I think the less you're going to know yourself. Because you're just going to be like, no, 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 I'll push through this. I'll push through this. And then, you know, what are you telling yourself? Again, I had that same thing, right? A couple months ago or a month and a half ago or whenever I was pushing through my second novel. And then I just kept on stalling and kept on stalling and kept on stalling. Well, Keith, what are you telling yourself? What I was telling myself is I don't want to write this novel. And that's a big, that's a big fucking revelation, right? Like revelations are usually not that big, but in this case it was. So it's about listening to yourself, gauging your own actions and going from there and learning. Cause you know, as much as you know yourself, you're always going to know yourself better tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and thinking about this whole process that, that I was going through as well, it's, it's essentially the slack method. You know, I was... I was basically um, hitting my head up against the wall, trying to figure these panels out, how I'm going to draw this, etc. And there was the slowdown. The, the The whole point of the slack method is to have no slowdown. Always draw where the heat is. Always draw what you feel like drawing. Always work on what you feel like working. And so for Paradise Hills, the fact that I've been wanting to work on this story for so long, my brain is like, no, this this is what you need to be doing right now because this is what you've been wanting to draw for like a year. Well, the process, the problem is I'm not feeling it right now, so I need to switch it up. You have to keep mm-hmm. moving. And so for my my last thing is I started working on, um, so something I do for Second Shift, is so this is the back cover for Second Shift. This is the thing I've been working on. What I have done for the last couple of issues is I usually do a Golden Age character on the back cover, like teaming up with the Second Shift. So, uh, you know... Uh, a couple of members of the of the team are in either a battle or some kind of scenario or some kind of adventure with the Golden Age character. So one of the characters I did was the Golden Age Daredevil, uh, which I've talked about a lot in like the first year of this podcast, uh, the original comic book from like 1945. It's like uh, Lev Gleason. Um, Lev Gleason uh, was a creator, the publisher. And so... I have him guest starring on one of the covers or the back covers. And then the next one was the black terror. And so this one that I'm working on, it's super badass. It's actually not even, well, I guess technically they are golden age characters, but they're not from the golden age. They're actually modern characters. They are creator own characters. And man, I got to say a good old friend of the podcast, Steve Whistler jr. Man, he is like our unofficial slash official, like, second shift liaison. So, he's actually been contacting creators, like independent creators, and asking them if it's okay for me to put their character in a, um, what did he call it, a non-continuity uh, team-up on the back mm-hmm. of the issues. You know, and and... And it's just like, so it doesn't affect their continuity, right? Their characters. Right. And so it's just like, hey, they're in my character's continuity, but maybe not maybe not these people. So, mm. um, yeah, so he's been contacting some creators and getting their permission, and he's gotten some really cool ones. And honestly, I think 
this is one of the bigger ones that he's gotten the approval for. And I'm not going to let it go which characters he's gotten approval for. And I want to make sure that I finish this before I announce it. And uh, But it's a really cool one. And I'll, I'll let you know off the air. So yeah. they were around in the 90s. And they're still around to these, this day. And it's really fucking cool. And I, I'm really excited to do this piece. And uh, so I had a couple of layouts to choose from. And I realized I started working on one that I liked a little more than the other. And... That was another situation. It was kind of frustrating because I had just jumped off of Paradise Hills and I'm drawing this pinup that I've been wanting to do. And I'm like, I'm not feeling this layout. I don't like this layout. What the fuck's going on? Nothing's working. And so I was like, fuck it. Let's let's just start over. Let's start from scratch. Let's take it one character at a time. Let's see what we can come up with. And I did another layout and I like that way better. And so that's the one I'm working with. And um, it's a lot different than those other two pinups that I did. But it's super badass. Like I'm, I'm super happy with it. And hopefully those creators are happy with it as well. Um, we're going to send it over their way before, you know, we publish it, make sure like I'm going to send them all line work and see if they're cool with everything first. And then if they are, then I'll, I'll flat it myself and then shoot it over to Joaquin. Yeah. Hey, that, that's cool. That's cool. I mean, you showed them what you're working with. You (laughs) shook it. You shook it fast. Attention all y'all players and pimps right now in the place to be. This motherfucker Scott Lost has drawn some shit. I don't feel like rhyming that. <laughs> <laughs> I also wanted to mention, I didn't properly thank you, Steve. I think Steve listens to the episodes pretty pretty well, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you for the vulgar display of logger. A couple weeks ago, I, I mentioned vulgar display of logger and I didn't even like shout Steve for it. No, you, you did. Know? So No, I, I said Steve gave it to us, but I don't feel like I properly like respected. Okay. The gift, you know what I mean? So thank you for the gift, and thank you for all the phone calling you're doing for Scott. In case you were wondering, I've moved on to scotch. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 bearded, you, you can probably figure it out. Like, dial back about three or four minutes, and then you're going to figure that out. But um, but no, I, I, think, I think that's really cool. I think it's cool that you've got, like, that he's just willing to take on this, like, yeah, I'll, I'll call up people for you. So yeah, that, that's that's really fun shit. Yeah, it's fun for him too. Like he's he's contacting creators basically that he's enjoyed growing up, and you know, just kind of like it'd be super cool if you if you could do something with this with this character, yeah. you know, this this creator's characters, you know, and uh, so it's kind of like he said he's doing it selfishly, uh, which I truly appreciate because like I'm I'm excited. Like the names that yeah. he's getting, there's a couple of big names that I'm just like fucking a. Like, are you serious? So. Yeah. With the more the more uh, pinups that I do with these these creations that are out in the world and and relatively well known, it's just like I don't know. It makes everything feel more real. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally, totally. All right, let's let's get on to my third thing. Um, it's not that fun to talk about, but it was. This was. I'm not kidding. Eighty five percent of the work that I did this week. So last week I talked about the fact that I had just gotten some notes back from Mike Perkins on Three Protectors Volume 2 and that there were notes, but that also the last third of the goddamn book got truncated because of the compile feature in my program. So I was really hell bent on just getting something back to him as soon as possible. And so what that entailed me to do was number one, rewrite the script where where he had given me the notes and number two not only rewrite the script but letter pages because as a quick reminder parts one and three of this script were actual script part two was comic pages that i am lettering 
But what I hadn't done is letter them. I just had the page and then the new text at the bottom. Well, that didn't go over well. It wasn't easy to follow. So I just said, fuck it. I need to letter these pages so Mike can see the pages. He needs to see the pages. And in the process of doing that and incorporating his notes, I cut six pages, dude. Six pages. Yeah, it was just like, because Mike would be like, I don't know, man. This seems like it would be confusing, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. Fuck it. It's gone. So everything I did for Three Protectors was in the interest of story. It was just, and, and, and I say that, you can't say it enough. Just remember, everything you do is, is subservient to story. Does it matter to the story? Because if you're doing a comic, it is sequential art, it is a story, and you need to make sure the story is being served. And it goes back into this idea of kill your darlings. You know, like, I liked these pages. I thought they were great. But by just taking a quick step back with that little note that Mike gave... It was like, yeah, but how hard am I working to make this fit the story? And how much better would the story be better or worse if I remove the page? And I got to some of these things. I'm like, shit, the story's better if I remove the page and then just take those important things that were set on this page and fit them somewhere else by cutting the fat there. And that's how it worked. I mean, we're talking about a segment of pages that was probably, I don't know, 24 pages, something like that. And now it's down to like 16 and it's a, it's clean, compact. And I think it works. So we'll see what Mike says, but yeah, man, a lot of, a lot of work there. Now, was the art already done for these or? Yes. Long time ago. Oh shit. Ah man, losing art pages were rough. Well, that's, but that, you know, in a way that explains why I was so unwilling to part with them because it's art that had already been paid for. It's art that had already been its thing, but it didn't support the story. And again, this is about kill your darlings, right? Like, like nobody said kill your darlings is easy. It's hard, but you have to do it because you want to support the story. And the thing is that story about lettering, it's, I did it twice because what I also did last week was finish lettering Kadoja volume two, number two for uh, the book that just funded on the Kickstarter a couple weeks ago. So I did all the lettering for that. I'm just going to let it sit a little bit. And then I'm probably going to be ready to go and, and get that, you know, ready to get all printed up. So I wanted to let it sit for a week or so. It's sat. I'll take another look at it and make sure it's good. But that's another one where we, we've talked about this a lot over the past month and a half or so. It is amazing how you can truncate your dialogue sometimes. And that's what this was. It was just like, hey, no, I said that already. I can say it in less words here. I can do this. I can do that. Or dumbass Keith, as mentioned previously on the podcast, you know, commandeered a small or medium panel with a lot of talky talk in it. You can't do that shit. If you want to have a lot of word balloons, you'd better have it be a large panel to fit those word balloons. So as a result, I had to move things around, economize, change the way people said everything. It was a lot of work. It was basically like a thorough writing edit as I was lettering. And that's why I talk about how valuable it is if you're a writer to do your own lettering because you have the opportunity to do that. You can do it before it even happens. It's like Minority Report. Instead of paying a letterer to do it, because sometimes you're going to pay a letterer to do it and then you're going to get that page back and you're going to be like, oh man, some of this stuff could really be cut. And now you got to go through a letterer to get it all fixed, where if you do the lettering yourself, it's all on you and you are, you know, God, right? You just get to make everything happen. So it's the last thing I talked about, and it was probably the, 
shortest bit of of stuff I'm I'm saying here, but it was so much work. And again, it's so beneficial to letter your own stuff and just continue to have this idea. You know, like I mentioned a couple weeks ago, like every word should fight for the right to be on the page. That always applies in comics. The art applies too. It's got to fight for its right to be on the page. It's got to fight for its right to be in your story because your story is what matters. Not not a bunch of kick-ass art. Like art's kick-ass and that's great and art can carry a book. But that doesn't mean you should have anything in there that doesn't support the story. You need to support the story at all times. Yep, totally. All right. We made it. We made it to talking about this week. So now what we're going to do is we're going to get into the main topic, which is, these are your words exactly, Scott. So I'm going to give you a crack to um, to describe it a little bit if you want. It's what makes a cover a cover. Yeah, so we've actually had an episode where we covered every step of making a comic. You know, we did, uh, we went from story idea to scripting to thumbnailing to penciling, inking, coloring, lettering, uh, etc. Right. Mm-hmm. And one of those processes was the cover. So what we talked about, I actually went back and I listened to that episode so we wouldn't just be repeating ourselves. You know, there's obviously going to be some some crossover there. But for the most part, we were talking about generational covers like, OK, what does this generation uh, usually put on their covers, you know, as opposed to the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, aughts and, and whatnot. So this is more so focused on what makes a cover a cover. Like, what is the point of a cover? Like, like for you, Keith, when you think of your covers, is there is there a particular goal in mind, like when you're doing them? I mean, for, for me... It's, it's kind of two-pronged on the same thing, which is I want it to be super eye-catching and I want it to arguably be the best art anywhere in this issue. I want it to be the best art out there. I want it to be better than the, than the interiors. You know, so that's my goal. I want it to catch people's eye. I want it to make them want to buy the book. And I pretty much want it to be the best looking thing of the entire issue. And that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Like that is the purpose of your cover. So, you know, we we look back at at all these different covers, the different style covers that we like growing up. Like there's for me specifically the the covers that I like and I enjoy the most. Um, I think just from a conceptual standpoint is the covers that give you a glimpse of what's inside the book. Mm -hmm. So the cover itself tells a story as to what's going on in that issue. Now, Marvel, like I was a Marvel zombie growing up. I I loved Marvel comics. That's before Image Comics, the idea of buying anything that wasn't Marvel was just insane to me. It didn't make any sense. I didn't want anything that wasn't Marvel. The thing that Marvel would do on their cover sometimes would be a swerve. So it's just like, let's let's say, for instance, it's, um, you know, Wolverine versus Sabretooth on the cover. And Wolverine is beat up and he's dead or, or dead looking and he's defeated and all of that. And then you read the issue and usually what happens is they're facing off towards the end of the book and then you have to read the next book to get the fight, right? So it's a bit of a swerve. It's like, okay, they give you an idea of what's in the book, but there's also some misdirection there. And 
Uh, but then the other type of cover is where they give you a fight scene and that fight is in the book, but it shows them battling off, right? Like right to battle or, or in the midst of battle. And so for me growing up, that was, that was the whole purpose of the cover was to pull you in. Oh, I like these characters. What's going on? They're about a fight. Oh, I want to see this fight. Here's my money. Mm -hmm. Nowadays it's, it's, it doesn't have to be specifically that. But the whole purpose, the reason for the cover is for people to buy it. As simple as that. What can you do on this cover for someone to throw down their money? That's the whole purpose. So, you know, I have a stance for my books. I will always have a cover. I always have a, I always be the person drawing the cover for my comic because I'm the one that did the hard work on the interior. And so I want to get my just due and have my own cover. Um, That's, that's part of it. But, you know, with with luckily finding new printers and, uh, you know, printers that have the ability to draw or to print out short print runs of other covers, like at a nominal cost, then it's like, OK, hey, I'm I'm in on that. So now you have your mm-hmm. guest, your guest artist, your guest cover uh, artist. And usually those are the flashier covers. Like, obviously, I try to make my covers as eye catching as possible, but you know, like to have another artist there, like where that's their whole thing, their cover artists, it's their job to draw uh, potential buyers to get your books. And one of the things that Keith said, that's like the most relevant thing ever is I want something that's going to catch someone's attention. I want the best art possible. The thing that someone's going to walk by and want to buy the book. Now that's, that's really the whole purpose. Um, I was listening to a couple of creators talking and one of the aspects of their books that they like to do is have very vibrant covers that are basically yelling at you for, for you to purchase this book. Like mm-hmm. if you look at next, next time you're in a comic store, go in and look at a shelf, look at the new arrival shelves. It kind of all blends together at times. Like everyone has that cover that's just like, oh, well, there are these two characters battling or there's these heroes running towards you or jumping off of buildings and and this and that. And it's it's kind of like it's almost monotonous in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, oh, it's the same thing. It's just like if you look at them individually, it's very cool. It's like, oh, this is it. This is a very nice cover. I like this cover. But when you're looking in a general like if you're looking in a comic store, there's hundreds of new books on the shelf. At all times, you're just Mm -hmm. like, fuck, it's overwhelming. But if you have that one cover that has like these super vibrant colors jumping off at the jumping off the shelf at you, you have no choice but to go look at it. So just I think I think for me, the reason why I brought this topic up was I thought that was really fascinating. It was just like, Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, as opposed to just wanting to have a really cool image or, or having the story being told on the cover, which which I really do prefer there's this whole other element of creating covers that is actually more so the purpose of the cover itself which is Mm -hmm. to get someone to buy the book absolutely in a way this is a parallel to what i talked about i think last week about the idea of selling yourself through your queries if you're querying to comic publishers if you're querying to book publishers even when you're trying to sell your book at conventions There's nothing wrong with, like, misrepresenting yourself a little bit so it's based in fact. Covers don't have to be a perfect representation of the book. 
They have to catch people's eye. You want them to represent the book to some extent. And what you'll find is that when people get into like, like this is a social contract between people who buy comics and people who create comics. They don't really care. Like they want a cool cover. Now, you don't want to wildly misrepresent this. You know, you don't want to wildly say this character dies and then the character ends up eating a fucking Reese's peanut butter cup or something like that, right? Like that's that's nowhere near what you have portrayed. But if you portray something where it's a little off and like nobody cares, no again, nobody cares, right? Like we me Keith as a comic buyer understands that a comic cover's goal is to ensnare me. And if it doesn't really convey the interior, I don't care because I probably know what the interior is. I've either read about it or I've flipped through it or the person's pitched it to me and I'm willing to read it anyway, no matter what the cover says. So you can use that to your advantage. Don't feel so tied to the content of your story where you can't tweak it just a little bit and have it turn into a cool cover that makes people want to buy the book. Yeah, you know, going back to what I was saying about, you know, Wolverine versus Sabretooth on the cover, Wolverine's defeated and you get you read the book and it's just like, "Oh man, they're come they're fighting the next issue." Well, I still enjoyed reading that issue and and the purpose was to get me to pick up that book and it's it did its job. So, they do meet up at the end of the book, but do they start throwing blows as Wolverine defeated? No, not quite yet, but that's mm-hmm. why you have to get the next book and that's that's part of the game that is comic books. And um, I think one thing that is relevant to uh, the last episode we did about covers was I was talking about the different style of covers they did through the decades. And I felt that this generation's covers is a lot more graphic design focused. And, And that's part of what I'm saying here to you guys is the the purpose of the cover is to sell the book and so when you have like keith for instance he likes to have a lot of graphic design elements to kadoja like like all of his covers actually there's a, a lot of graphic design there and i think that does help sell the book and and helps um pull the audience in just based off of like shapes and silhouettes and stuff like that like uh a cover, for instance, that's that's huge on this is X Men Grand Design. Like if you look look at the cover, it's a silhouette of Cyclops shooting his optic blast, and the cover, the background cover, is yellow. So you have black, red, and yellow on the cover with a silhouette. There's not a lot going on there. It's not necessarily represent representation of Ed Piscor's art, but you know he did draw the silhouette even though there's no detail there and it's not a true example of what his art looks like, especially on the interiors, there's enough going on there for you to go, Oh wow. That's a really intriguing cover. That's, that's, it stopped me because you have this bright ash yellow, a lot of yellow, you have this silhouette, then you have this streak of red. That's mm-hmm. a cool cover. That's, that's enough for you to go, wait, what's going on here? As opposed to having all this detail, which will slow you down where it's just like these basic shapes, basic colors, and it's enough for you to pick up the book and flip through like, hey, what is this? And then you can decide, oh, I do like the way the interiors look. Look, this is pretty cool. Or you can decide it's not for you. But the job was to stop you in your tracks when you're when you're scanning these shelves and going like, this is different than everything else. Now what's going on with it? Do I like it? Yeah. Okay, it's I, I'm taking it home with me or okay, I'm putting this back. But the job yeah. was to get you to stop. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna do something dangerous here and meander a little bit because I've had a beer and some scotch, <laughs> and that that doesn't work well for like long form points. But the first thing is that for me, the way that I equate this to is I am I am so a child of of album covers of the '70s before there were videos for music. Your visual representation of a record, of a group, was an album cover. And so again, of people of my age, like, like you listen, you, what you would do is you would buy a record. Your parents would buy you a record, whatever. Maybe you mowed lawns, I don't know. But you would put that record on and then you would just stare at the album cover. If you were lucky there was a lyric sheet, you would pick apart every single detail of that record. You would pick apart everything because that was what you stared at while you just sat and listened to music. And so album covers really, at least back in the day, I don't know if they do as much these days. They probably do in some cases. But like they convey the record, but they don't. Like there's nothing wrong with having a cool image that semi conveys the record, but maybe doesn't super convey the record. But what it's great is it's a singular image that is speaking to uh, you know a 30 to 50 minute record. And I think you can learn a lot from album covers personally. You know, like what things work for you and go from there. Um, comic covers the same way. Book covers, oh my God, novel book covers. Fiction book covers, nonfiction book covers, whatever. Man, like that is, you know, you, are, you need to convey some good shit there, you know? And uh, so... Find those things if you don't know what they are already. Understand what you like, and odds are you can then take your taste and turn it into what your covers are going to look like. When Lance Pilgrim first said, what are you thinking about the Kadoja covers? He was like, I'm, I'm doing the Kadoja covers for volume one, right? We're, we're getting ready to do our first cover. He was like, so what, what, like, what do you want this to look like? He says, give me a little bit of description and send me some color covers you really like. And I can't find that old email. But but what I did was I sent him a couple covers. One of them was of an Iron Man issue. I can't remember what it was, but I loved the, the visual aesthetic of it. And the other was Punisher number 75. And I don't know, um, I believe... Like I'm, I'm going from memory here, but Punisher number 75 shows the Punisher holding a huge like Bowie knife and he is being lit from above, but his face is a skull. So it's like this black cover with the Punisher kind of lit from above with, with his face, a skull that he's holding up a knife. And what I loved about it was how like minimalist it was in a way. It was a gimmicky cover back in the day. Like I think the the knife is like metallic and maybe. Has yeah, it's embossed. It I actually yeah. was thinking of this cover in my head. I'm like, is he talking about that? And once yeah. you said it was a gimmick cover. Yeah. 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 So so I gave him a couple of those covers and voila. He started making the Kadoja covers. And, you know, his idea with the first wave of Kadoja covers was propaganda posters. That was his thing. So he's like, okay, you like this, you like that. What do you think about propaganda posters? I'm like, I love old propaganda posters. But he was he was specific. It's more like um, communist propaganda posters is what he was going for there. Like the minimal colors and like, things like that. I love communists. 
<laughs> I love communism. I love everything. But yeah, I mean, these are old, like, like you know, like Chinese propaganda. You know, that was his model for doing these kind of things. But like, that's right in the ethos I liked. And that's why I liked it so much. It was a representation and it worked. Um, but it was also, like Scott said, kind of heavy on the graphic design. But the most important thing there is, like, my ethos managed to make it to the covers, right? Like Lance asked me for my ethos and then he made some covers based on it. And then we were all happy. And, uh, you know, through the years, I've continued to change my taste or change what I want in covers because you can't just do the same thing forever, you know, but um, you get to put a lot of your own personality into those covers, whether you are drawing them yourself or whether you are hiring people to draw them. So, you know, we've mentioned this in different contexts too, but trust your taste. You know, like odds are your taste is pretty good for the stuff you like. So take that, turn it into something that you can then kind of give out to the world. So I think we've said a fair amount there, right? Like, yeah, you know, trust your taste um, and other shit. See, the booze is kicking in. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we don't need to repeat it because we just we, we just did a whole podcast on it. So you could always just rewind. We can't rewind because we're recording right fucking now. We but can. you can. You can. Uh, so we have made it to the bullshit what kind of bullshit you got to bring man dude i i don't have okay so the lakers are better right now it's basketball related people i'm sorry uh, if you guys are expecting something comic related i, I don't have something comic just, related. Ju- right no now. no i will say just wait because your boy keith has something that's not only it's not only comic related it ties to the main topic yeah. After the break. I've been getting texts through the week, so it definitely does. Um, <laughs> yes, okay, you so, have. So my, my thing is the Lakers are looking better. LeBron is out for, I think, four weeks or something crazy like that. Um, and so I think he's going to be returning like right before the, the playoffs start. So, But right now we're rolling. And we need to keep it rolling. Anthony Davis is looking good. So there's a rumor mill going around that this is basically kind of make or break for AD for the Lakers with the Lakers. So if he cannot sustain um, wins while LeBron is out, they're probably going to trade him in the offseason. He's an amazing player, but he is injury prone like a motherfucker. Like if AD could stay healthy, I would love to have AD for the rest of his career because he's just so damn good. The problem is day by day, you don't know if he's going to get injured or not. Like you blow on the guy too hard he's going to fall down and he's going to break something blow with with breath is what i'm did saying did you see did you see uh there's a video of ad playing <laughs> i hear you there's a there's a video out there of ad playing nba 2k3 i think and he's like freaking out at the realism because he's playing the lakers as ad and he actually rolls to the basket on a drive and then he comes up clutching his ankle <laughs> it's hilarious <laughs> Yes. It's so fucking funny watching AD react to like the fact that they make AD get hurt all the time. It's super funny. Um, Speaking of ankles, uh, freaking KD messed his ankle up. Uh, that was crazy. A buddy of mine just showed me that video. He was like, did you see the video? I'm like, no. Yeah, he's doing like warm ups and he just fucking falls on like a routine his- layup. Yeah, yeah, he's just taking a layup. He's just laying it up off the backboard, and yeah. he makes that step right before he starts to lay it up, and his foot rolls, just goes right out from Crazy. under him. Freaking ghetto-ass Arizona. They can't even, Phoenix can't even keep their courts dry. What the fuck? Yeah. 
crazy. You know what I was thinking about uh, after I saw that? What if, what if you're one of his teammates and you were actually getting a good workout on and then so you were on the court dripping and you were kind of like had your hands on your knees and you were right under the basket and you're like, all right, I'm going to go over over here and do whatever. And then you see KD slip and you're like, oh, fuck, that was me. (laughs) I don't think that's the case, though. That was just a layup line. Like that was just early, early warmups. And I don't think people stand under the basket at that time. That would be pretty funny, though. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, can I can I just do how about yeah, just go a ahead. minute on how about just a minute on the Sixers? I heard Embiid is like been a monster lately. He's a and monster. You guys have been rolling. He's a monster. Harden looks real good, like real good. And hey, look, as predicted, as predicted, I'm getting sucked in. I'm getting sucked in into thinking we have a chance. I know how this is going to end, Keith. Keith, listen to me, Keith. When you listen back to this, you know how it's going to end. They're going <laughs> to lose. And they're probably going to lose in the second round of the playoffs, and you're not going to like this. So I'm just just sending a reminder out to myself. But they're fun. They're actually kind of fun to watch right now. Harden looks as good as he's looked in like three years, and B oh, is wow. balling. Just everybody stay healthy, please. Like if if we're going to lose, can we at least lose without the refs calling a stupid ass penalty on the final play of the Chiefs drive? Oh wait, sorry, I switched sports there, didn't I? <laughs> Look at me. Um, no, if we're gonna lose, can we at least lose with like the Sixers being healthy? That's all. Just, right. just don't, don't let me. Can I have one playoffs where Embiid is not like bandaged in six places and and you know like falling apart as we speak? So anyway, so we'll see. And and uh, losing to the to the champs, it it's always helpful too. It's just like fuck, we lost in the second round. Oh, but that team went and won the whole thing. So you can kind of you know feel less shitty about it i take i take no solace in that i take no solace in that so you would you would feel better losing to the hawks i don't i don't like losing to like any, like you guys have done before <laughs> it's just like losing's fucking losing hawks dude i don't like, yeah, but losing's losing. it's like if you lose to the celtics it's respectable like um when so let me tell you this we lost to the eventual champion Toronto Raptors on that goddamn yeah, four bounce shot from Kawhi. Luckiest bounce I, in the history I, of the NBA. Yeah. And I and I hate it now. I hated it then and I hated it now. I, I think I think I mentioned first of all, I'm speaking in the past tense in the present. So that's good. But like <laughs> did I mention that when that fucking shot went in, I thought to myself, like, God, I hope Toronto doesn't win the title. Because if Toronto wins the title, I'm gonna have to live with video replays of this shot for the next thirty fucking years. And then they go and win the title. And now I just, I never know when it's coming, dude. Now it's like anytime there's a three or four bounce shot, it's like, oh, that's just like Kawhi Leonard. And I'm like, yeah, the, the rub this. in the face. The rub Fuck in the face. This. Yeah, exactly. yeah, it's just, I don't know. I, I actually, what I do to you. Yeah, that's, you know? that's, it's interesting. That's the difference on how we both, how we think. Um, is well, my teams like, yeah, don't win championships. Yeah, yeah, it's like yeah, he they won because they beat us on the luckiest fucking bounce that the that's ever happened in the NBA. That's that's the only reason why they won. Yeah. Well, that. Well, that, I mean, it just would have that Durant got hurt, and then I think Clay got hurt right yeah. after it. So basically, a series of crazy events. Hey, let's see some unfortunate stuff. events. Yeah. Let's okay. So let's rewind to last week. Scott had purchased his Fantastic Four 49. Mm-hmm. Scott had had just flat out baited me, just baited me into buying Avengers number, uh, what is this, number 25. Of my own volition, I had bought Fantastic Four number 16. So, a day or two later, I find myself in my local comic shop. 
And my local comic shop is owned by, well, this person named Glennis, who has a deep stock of back issues. Like, uh, Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure that her backstory is that her dad bought and sold comics. So she she she's like come up in the industry of buying and selling comics. Right. Second generation. Yeah, man, it's crazy. So I'm I'm there. And I noticed that her display case has changed. And there's a couple books that have been on my, like, soft second-level list. One of them is um, Star Wars 42, first appearance of Boba Fett. And the other is Green Lantern 85. That is the one where um, Green Arrow's ward is doing heroin on the cover, right? It's very, very well-known, infamous cover because, you know, you'll never, you'll never, to quote my friend Scheme Richards, no one will ever make that cover again. You're never going to have a heroin junkie tying a rubber band on their arm and looking like shit with a vial of powder on the table in front of them. That is never going to happen again. Not, right? not in a corporate comic, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I saw those two books and like, they were pretty reasonably priced. And I was like, are these the real prices? She proceeds to tell me that, that the COVID bubble for a lot of collectibles, including comics is, is getting back now. So we're getting to the point where all these crazy fake gains that happened when people had nothing to do but sit home and buy things with the money they were making and couldn't go out and spend the money they were making, that's coming back, right? Like prices have gone up. There's there's definitely some inflation going on. People are selling off those frivolous things. And as a result, comic prices are really deflating. So I was like, oh, wow, okay, that's interesting. So she was like, so what are you thinking about that Star Wars 42? And I'm like... <laughs> Just give me a day. Give me a day. So the next day I wake up and I'm like, I'm buying that fucking Star Wars 42. Like it's a <laughs> it's a really good price. It's a really good price and I and I dealt on it a little bit. So I walked right back into the comic shop that day and I was like, yeah, I'm going to take the I, like actually she wasn't there but I just said, "Hey, if if you can deal on this a little bit, I'll take it." And then I ended up working out a deal. It's sitting right over there. So Star Wars 42 First appearance of Boba Fett, a slabbed 6.0, although it is a CBCS, right? It's not uh, uh, the CBG, right? It's CG, CGC. C, C, hey, beer, scotch, I fuck up, right? <laughs> so it's not CGC, it's uh, CBCS. But yeah, that I'm said, okay it. CBCS is, is, is the other legit one, basically. And uh, it's a really nice looking 6.0 for Star Wars 42 over there. Yeah, man, that's awesome. I I know that one's been on your list for a while. It has. I think we talked about that over a year ago. You were looking yeah. at it, and you're like, you know what? I just can't justify paying that right now. So glad I, you I on it. held off, and uh, you got it for a way better deal this time around. Yeah, I mean, when I said hell with this, it was at a certain price. I got this comic over here to my left for less than half of that price. That is how oh, much shit. the market has given back on these things, right? Less than half is what I got this comic for. So, Scott, that story is over. But my rhyme ain't done. But, uh, I, so, okay, before you get into your next rhyme, I got a text. Or No, this was in the Making Comics uh, uh, Brain Trust. Our, oh, our this is, yeah, that's with, right. That's how I dropped Gary. it. Gary, yes. so that, that popped in there. You popped that photo in there. I was like, is this the one you got a while ago, or is this a new one? You're like, this is a new one. So you proceeded to tell us that story, and you're like, yeah, the bubble's bursting on this, and people are selling off all their collectibles, you know? And and uh, I was like, yeah, and I'll be there to pick up the pieces. Yep, Totally. Totally. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm not getting out of the game. You all are getting out of the game, so... 
So it's super interesting you say that, Scott, because I was there to pick up some pieces. So I was intrigued enough by Green Arrow, uh, sorry, Green, yeah, Green Green Arrow, no, Green Lantern 85, I think it is, right? Or is it Green Arrow? Green Lantern 85. Oh, it's a Green, I think it's Green Arrow, because it's, um, yeah, it's his sidekick. Um, shit, what's his, what's his name? Uh, it's, later on, he's Red Arrow. What's his, what's his God, name I, there? I keep on wanting to say Bucky, but I know that's not right. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I'm yeah, sure it's, it's like ward. some kind of arrow-related thing. Some, is yeah. it Quiver? No, just this time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so anyway, so I, I go back home, and now I have this fresh knowledge speedy. of the fact. Speedy. Yeah. So I have this fresh knowledge of the fact that comic prices are recessing. So what I start doing is I just start looking up comics that have interest to me, including Green Arrow 85, and just to see where the price is. Holy shit. If I thought Boba Fett, if I thought Star Wars 42 had gone down, oh my God, Green Arrow 85 was so cheap. So I ended up finding a thing where it was like, buy it now or best offer. I put a silly best offer in there and they took it. And I was just like, holy crap. (laughs) <laughs> like this book, I got, I'm got. i getting this book at this condition at a quarter of what I would have paid for it last year, wow. right? That's that's how much it went down. Um, and now, obviously, it was it was inflated a year ago or two years ago during COVID. But still, just it's life is all relative, you know, and it's like you get so used to seeing that price. And again, that was another book that I had just written off. And uh, and oh, my God, the price I got on that was so cheap. So so that was, you know, so I got that, too. And I was like, hey, this is pretty great. And that story is over, but my rhyme ain't done. (laughs) So then I kept on coming back to this Kang thing. Right. I'm like, what's drawing me to Kang? Okay, well, I like Kang. I love Jonathan Majors. Kang is going to be the absolute marquee villain in the MCU the next couple of years. And and I was reading, I don't know, I, I came across something where, okay, hold it. So, spoiler alert, just go forward a little bit if you don't want to hear this. This refers to Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. So, this is how stupid I am. This is like back in the day when I was like, I, you'd listen to hip-hop, and then you'd hear a sample, and you'd actually, you were stupid enough to think that the artist made that music, and then you'd hear the original, and you'd be like, holy fuck, this is just that music. Like, the artist did nothing. All they did was sample it and loop it, right? Mm-hmm. So, the Council of Kangs is in Avengers 267. Like, it's there. It's the fucking Council of Kangs, right? Like, it's crazy. So I found out about that. And I was like, me, me, dumbass. I'm like, holy shit. Council of Kangs was just a thing that's been in the comics a long time. And then I got Avengers 267 at a song. <laughs> the next thing you know, I got a cheap copy of Avengers 267. So um, so I grabbed that. That was that was yet another comic that I got this week. And then uh, and then to 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 fill it all out. With this idea of looking at the Doctor Doom appearances like 2 through 15, right? I said, well, wait a minute. What about Kang's second, third, fourth appearance, etc.? right? Kang's first appearance is Avengers 8. What's his second appearance? Well, his second appearance is Avengers 11. Okay. What's his third appearance? Third appearance is Avengers 23. So I proceeded to look at them all. 
Like, I just do eBay searches and I'd be like, oh, that's interesting. That's not interesting. Whatever. I get to the Avengers 23 thing and I'm like, now that is a fucking cover. Like, that is a cover right there. And before long, I had ordered Avengers 23. I had gotten that on also another good deal that was like a buy it now or best offer. And I just said, F it. Let me put in this low offer. The person then came back and said, I don't like your low offer. I'll, I'll, I'll do this. And I'm like, cool. That's still lower than what you were offering in the first place anyway. Right. <laughs> it's and, and it was still like half the price of similar condition versions out there. Right. Like it was a really good price. I am currently looking up Avengers 267 on eBay. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. See, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. This is this is just a cycle. Scott perpetuates me. I perpetuate Scott, right? And that's how it goes. So then I, I've, I've done the Kang stuff. I, I'm now watching a bunch of auctions. And then I decided to go back to my event, my Doctor Doom list. And I'm like, let me look at this one more time. And so what I did was I went all the way down his first 15, 20 appearances. And this is where I started to realize what I like. Because this is something Glennis was talking about when we were in the shop, too. She's like, covers matter. As totally. per our main topic. Like, the if the cover pops, that matters a lot. And that really helped clarify for me what I what I like and what I want to collect. Do I necessarily want... Okay, hold it. Let me take a step back. My love for Doctor Doom caused me to finally break out my Fantastic Four Omnibus number one, which collects, I think, the first 25 or 30 issues of Fantastic Four. So in the last week, I have read Fantastic Four number five and Fantastic Four number six in the Omnibus because mm. I'm up to issue nine. And that's making me realize that, like, you know, look, I read Fantastic Four or Five, and I'm like, I don't know, man, that's kind of corny. <laughs> right? Like, like, yes, it was done in, like, 1961 or 1962, but still, like, it's kind of corny, you know? And that that helped crystallize why Fantastic Four or Five is just going to be such a, like, if I have absolute money to burn, right? to burn, then I think about this thing. Because... It's, it's an okay story. It's a piece of comics history, but it's an okay story. And most importantly, Scott, the cover isn't that dope. You know, mm. like, if you look at Fantastic Four or Five, like, the cover's fine, but it's not that dope. Fantastic Four Six, Doctor Doom's second appearance, it's fine, but it's not that dope. Fantastic Four Ten, that's a pretty cool fucking cover. Fantastic Four Sixteen, right over there on my shelf behind me, that's a sick-ass cover. And, and then with that, that helped bring it all into focus. Like, it's again, it's one of these Keith, listen to yourselves, right? I don't care that much about Kang's first appearance because the cover's meh, you know? If, mm-hmm. if, if you want to have fun right now, go look up Avengers 8 cover and then look up Avengers 10. I own Avengers 10. It's the first appearance of Immortus, who is a Kang variant, basically. But if you look up, like, the covers to 8 and 10, they aren't that different. So it's like, do I really want to spend this money on Avengers 8 when, like, I have a similar cover in Avengers 10 and, like, Immortus is kind of present in the MCU and all this shit, right? Same with Avengers 11. Like, the comic's not that dope. The the cover's not that dope, I mean. You get to Avengers 23, that cover is ridiculous. Like, that's a sick cover. Mm-hmm. Therefore, my current eBay watch list is basically the Doctor Doom appearances that are, like, 2nd through 20th where the cover is sick. 
because there are some really cool covers out there in the early Doctor Doom appearances. And so, again, to bring this kind of back to the cover in a weird way, the covers matter. And in my case, I'm making this decision that I want to collect these things, but I don't want to be a completist. What I want to do is I want to pick and choose the things that matter to me and the really kick-ass covers, much like, again, I got it right here, just as a reference, the Avengers 25 that you uh, that you bullied me into buying. <laughs> like, you know, like the covers are sick. And, yeah. and for me, it, it really does come down to have, like, I don't, I don't care if I'm, if I have holes in Dr. Doom's second through 15th appearance, I care if I have holes with the covers that are dope. And I have my own list of the covers that I think are dope. And those are the ones that I will just keep an eye on. And if an amazing value presents itself, I'll get it. Otherwise I'll just sort of pick them off one by one as I have the money. And that's kind of a fun thing to be collecting too. It's kind of something that's, that's all you right? Like mm-hmm. your favorite character is Dr. Doom. You know, you're like uh, someone comes into your room and they're like, oh, you have a bunch of random issues. What are these? Like, that's my Dr. Doom collection. I collect mm-hmm. appearances of Dr. Doom, his early appearances. Yeah. And it's just like, fuck, that's awesome. So you just yeah. kind of have this box and maybe it's an amalgam of titles, um, but it's still super badass. It's just like, oh shit, like that that's such a cool thing. Like I have, um, I finally got around to labeling the boxes. I have my comics room is is bonkers and i have a a run of short boxes going across the top of a bunch of shelves and i would always have to go wait what's in this one again so i finally just got post-it notes i would open them i'm like what's in this okay so i finally got them labeled but i have one it's all of my x-men first appearances so i do Mm. own x-men 1 through 20 and that was some that was a goal i was i am you own x-men 1 through 20 yeah Holy shit. You didn't know that? No. Oh, okay. I must have told you during you, quarantine you, or you, some shit. You've probably told me, and it didn't truly register. I mean, I obviously know about X-Men 1. Yes. I just didn't know that you'd go all, gone all the way through 20, man. That's ridiculous. Oh, yeah, man. I was at, It was actually to the point where I was like, should I just keep going? Should I just get... <laughs> The other ones, and honestly, I should have at the time, because when I started this little venture, it was 2017, and uh, I think halfway through 2017, because Stanley's wife had passed, and Mm -hmm. I was like, he's going to pass, I need to get as many Stanley signed comics as possible. You little little vulture, you. Especially especially X-Men number one, and like I've told the story here on the pod where... I got yeah. X-Men number one after he passed. And I was like, there's yeah. no fucking way I'm getting that under 10 grand now. Because yeah. before he passed, it was roughly around five. Mm-hmm. Like, you can get an X-Men number one, low-grade copy, signed by him, CGC'd for about five grand. And mm-hmm. then he passed, and it automatically shot up to eight to ten. Eight thousand mm-hmm. to ten thousand. And I was like, fuck, I, there's no way I can afford that now. Luckily, um, I, I you found... You don't have an, to. Yeah, yeah, I found an auction. I ended up getting it for three thousand five hundred fifty. Um, but those other issues at the time, I think X Men number two, I bought it for two hundred and fifty bucks. Oh man! Yeah, so I was just like, oh fucking a, two hundred fifty bucks, all right. And then um, a lot of the other issues were somewhere around there, if not cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, except for X Men four, 
which is the first appearance of uh, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. So it's just like, okay, well, that one's a little bit more for good reason, right? And then uh, WandaVision hit, and that shit took off like crazy. I think I Mm -hmm. got it for 400, and then it went up to like a couple of thousand overnight. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of crazy. But yeah, uh, at that time, 2017, you can get X-Men 20 for $20. Yeah, exactly. And and it was just like, what? X-Men number 20 from 1967? Or 65, I think, at that point. 65, 66. It's like, this is $20? That's it? So yeah. I I was just, like, knocking them out. And um, I got some good ones. I got Juggernaut's second appearance for $15. Yeah. And which was an insane steal. Even at that time, it was like, whoa, this is at least 30 And I got it for half. And then, um, you know, obviously, once quarantine like sunk in all of those things shot up in value yep and it was and like now, and oh. now they're coming on back coming yeah on back. well we'll see because disney owns the x universe now so it's like yeah we'll, we'll see how oh every yeah ev- everybody's just uh waiting with bated breath for that kind of stuff you know yeah but sure. I, but i mean again i think we've talked about this before like you're you're a harder core collector than i am and i think you see that difference in like this completism idea because mm-hmm. for me it's like i don't i don't do the completism thing you know like i i need personal attachment for me to buy this comic um and maybe i don't know maybe that's because i have you know other things that i buy too which is you know a bigger problem like records and shit like that you know much like i can write where the heat is i can also collect where the heat is so if i'm not collecting comics for a while which which happened recently right i just went on a little bit of a record bender and just bought way too much miles davis and that's what happens right and then you come back to comics so yeah for me it's just you know i I think i like to have that personal connection but it's also fun to to have this okay, this is what I want. You know, like I want Dr. Doom appearances. I want sick covers, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not really here to be like a completist for all the appearances of Dr. Doom. I just want the ones that I want, you know? Totally. So, yeah. That's yeah. what my X boxes or X title short boxes. It's a, a bunch of sh- uh, first appearances. So after I got X-Men one through 20, I was like, I'm just going for keys now just for, for whoever, whoever's first appearance in the X-Men. Like I got a bunch of rando ones. I, I like some of the Morlocks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I was just like, Oh yeah, let's like, let's get him. Let's get Caliban. Let's get all of these other characters. Cause again, once, once DC or once Disney owns the X X universe, you don't know who the fuck they're going to throw in there. So it's just no, like, exactly. all right, grab every first appearance I have. So that's what that box is, is a bunch of first appearances. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. I was reading an article on like, you know, I don't know, pe- people, you know, continue to shit critically on Wasp and Ant-Man, but someone so brought up crazy. this point. Someone brought up this point of like, yeah, I mean, it's clearly not the second worst movie ever in the MCU. Like again, I enjoyed it. And so did you. Yeah. By but, far. Um, but it's 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 interesting because you know someone brought up the point of like Marvel hasn't even pulled the biggest arrows in its quiver yet. Like Fantastic Four and X Men do not exist in the MCU yet. Like all this success has happened, and we haven't even gotten to Fantastic Four and X Men. You know, so yeah. it's it'll be interesting to see how all that uh, shakes out, you know. But yeah. uh, anyway, anyway. All right. Hey, I think we did it. We made it here. So you can find me. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Let's let's rate these beers. Let's rate these, these beers. beverages. What, yeah. Your, what's your what's your seltzer? OK. Neutral vodka seltzer, real juice, 4.5 ABV uh, got on a sweet, sweet deal of six dollars. 
this is actually one of my more favorite seltzers that I've had. So okay. as far as seltzers go, I give this an eight. I, wow. I would let this is a pineapple. Um, so the so let me speak about the neutral pineapple specifically. I give it an eight. It was really refreshing. Yeah. It was really enjoyable. I didn't taste the vodka at all, uh, really. Mm. So as far as seltzers go, eight point Wow, slamming to quote uh, Prince. All right. <laughs> so for me, the Lazy Dog Huckleberry Haze. Four point five. Four point five. It oh, was wow. it was in in fact here's what's weird, right? As I said that, I was fighting off a belch. And um so I have I finished that and that got me to a power rating a little over a hundred, and I'm like, Yeah, hey, we're going harder. We're going harder in the paint here. Like podcast listeners deserve me going harder in the paint right now. So I'm gonna <laughs> go down and I'm gonna get some Aberlore scotch and I'm gonna top this bad boy off. That was, you know, I don't know. I haven't had the beer in 45 minutes, maybe. I just belched. Huckleberry haze, motherfucker. There's that blueberry shit, right? <laughs> like, so, yeah, it's just a little too, like, blueberry. And maybe that's because I wasn't in the mood for it. You know, I do have a second one because the eight pack is just four different beers, two X each. Oh, so uh, so maybe the second time I have it, I'll like it more. I mean, I'm definitely not going to dump it down the drain or anything, but... A, a, a fine IPA, but it's like just super berry-ish and uh, not what I was feeling right now. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at Keith underscore Invader. I'm posting pictures of books I'm reading of my own shit, um, quotes, and anything else I can think about. And of course, the stories are way more full of shit about the Sixers, comics, what I'm reading, etc. So yeah, Keith underscore Invader on Instagram. And then my website is KeithRFoster.com. I have individual pages for both Kadoja, which is uh, Giant Monsters Meet HP Lovecraft, and Three Protectors, which is Kung Fu in Space. And soon there will be a page on animals, and we will uh, talk more about that as we get closer to the release date. And you can find me at Scott Lost on Twitter and Instagram, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T, and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. If you want to pick up my book, Second Shift, The Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day and Superheroes at Night, and Wanderers of Melisande, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans, uh, you can find those books at AccidentalAliens.com. Yeah, man. I don't know. I, I can't. I actually can't think of anything clever to say about giving us five stars. So just give us five fucking stars, okay? Like, <laughs> please give us five stars on uh, on the podcast things, on iTunes podcasts, on Spotify. Um, it helps us, and uh, and it helps the world. It helps spread the word for all of us creators out there that are just trying to make our comics a little bit better and uh, and get them out. Yep. And you can. Uh shoot us comments emails etc at making comics podcast at gmail.com all right my, my dear i will uh, i'll see you next week yeah yeah